Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Med Tech Talk podcast. Before I get into this week's podcast, I want to uh, apologize. We uh, screwed up last week. I screwed up last week. Uh, we had posted the podcast we intended to post, which was a terrific interview with John Pedersen of Ugmatics. Uh, but for a short time, we had uh, a different title on the podcast. So some of you might have clicked onto that, uh, expecting to hear our uh, fantastic reimbursement panel from the MedTech conference. So sorry about the uh, the temporary mislabeling of that podcast, but it's a win-win for you. You got to hear the great story of Augmentics. And now this week, you get to hear the reimbursement panel. Three successful, experienced CEOs, Bob Polson, John Stevens, Bill Facto, they talked about their strategies, the strategies they use for their actual medtech companies to secure reimbursement. I think it was very insightful. Often reimbursement panels can be hit or miss. This was most definitely a hit. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. If you're leading a medtech, you should be thinking about reimbursement, and uh, this will help you uh, formulate those thoughts. So let's get into the conversation right away. Bill Facto, John Stevens, and Bob Paulson sharing their company's successful strategies for securing reimbursement. We've got the pleasure of having Bob, uh, Bob Paulson, who is the uh, uh, present CEO of Nextera, or recently it was. Uh, it was just acquired. Congratulations for up to uh, $400 million. And John Stevens, who is the co-founder, present CEO of HeartFlow, uh, and, uh, you know, we're going to talk about reimbursement today. And, and again, we don't have a whole lot of time, but uh, I want to kind of put it in the, the context of, you know, the three-legged stool of reimbursement, which is going to be coding, coverage, and payment. And we'll talk, hopefully, a little bit throughout about some of the other influencers and, uh, you know, around societies, uh, clinical data and requirements, uh, uh, that are there, competition, politics, those types of things that seem to always uh, influence the, uh, the reimbursement decision. So uh, so why don't we first get started, um, and uh, Bob, maybe I'll ask you just to kind of give a quick overview of Nextera, and what stage are you guys at, and, and, uh, and then we'll follow up with a couple of reimbursement questions. Sure. So Nextera is a commercial stage company. Uh, we also compete in the BPH space, and uh, congratulations to Dave and uh, Neotrack for the, the great outcome. It, it's an example of two great technologies in a space that has been really underserved for the last many years, and uh, two strong competitors in the marketplace raised the, the bolt for all competitors. So it's been fun. So we have a, a different approach. We're using vapor or steam to ablate tissue. Uh, so it's turned what was a 45 to 90 minute procedure into a, a three to five minute office space procedure and uh, with a technology that can fit uh, anybody's anatomy. So uh, our reimbursement story goes back to, I actually, I give Bill a lot of credit. We were both in the ENT space back in the mid-2000s. So I, I watched with great interest as a clarent uh, came to market to use an existing code, had not uh, necessarily gone to society ahead of time and, and had to go back and got kicked into a Cat 3 and then eventually got to a Cat 1. So being the genius follower that I am, I said, well, we're going to do it right this time. So in, uh, in, as part of the development process and thinking about what the clinical studies are going to be, uh, the BPH category is a little unique in that there are separate codes set up by energy source. And so uh, together with our founder, we said, okay, can we create... Uh, this therapy using one of the existing energy sources so we can piggyback on an existing code? The answer was yes. Uh, so in 2010, 
um, as we were beginning the development process, I sat down with... Uh, so, Bob, I want to stop you real quick, because I, I want to spend yep. more time on the journey. Okay. So, but I want to contrast before we go there. Okay. So just hold on, yep. on the timeline. And, and, John, maybe you can give an overview of HeartFlow and, and kind of what stage you guys are at. And congratulations, uh, you know, another unicorn in the building. I think this is two uh, that uh, we've had, and it's probably two more than I've ever seen in MedTech between you and uh, Fred Moll being here. Uh, so tell us a little bit about HeartFlow and your technology and the stage of the company. First, I, I too have to give a lot of credit to Bill. Uh, HeartFlow is an extraordinary technology that came out of Stanford. Um, began in the mid-'90s with Bill, with uh, Charlie Taylor and Chris Zarens. Uh, two brilliant professors, one in mechanical engineering, one in vascular surgery and vascular biology. And over the next 15 years and $100 million in the biggest single lab at Stanford, they came together and figured out how to use image data to calculate physiologic parameters. That's kind of in the snapshot. Our real application is using heart flow CT scans, snapshot of the heart, static image, using AI and cloud computing and high-performance computing and give back to the clinician a 3D digital image that allows them to make really precise clinical decisions about, is there coronary disease? And if so, what do I do about it? It turns out that in the U.S. alone, we spend about $30 billion a year, 30B, uh, on non-invasive tests trying to answer those questions, and we're wrong, false positive about 60% of the time, false negative about 30% of the time. So it's a big problem. My first approach to this when I jumped in was, uh, well, first I want to find out if there's a regulatory strategy. Called Bram Zuckerman? Nope, we don't have a way to do it, but we know it's important, we'll figure out a way with you. Second, I'm gonna call Bill Facto because he had to work out this navigation of a brand new category. And how do you do a brand new category? Because you know we're a web service. We upload data, we compute something, and we give back a digital report. No one had ever seen that. So we started with, we literally, Campbell and I had lunch with Bill, and we said, well, how do we get to navigate the coding coverage and payment world landscape? And at the end of the day, it was about data, and then advocacy, but data, data, data. And I, I'll give both of you credit because I know you were at Nextera for 10 years, and, and I was amazed on how early you were thinking yeah. about reimbursement, right? I mean, the technology was still early. Yeah. But I think that that's a great point for everyone that's in here. You know, reimbursement is, I think, probably the most important discussion you have to have early on. And, and John, I know you've shared some thoughts just as maybe even more important than your regulatory path. It is. Your thoughts? It's, it's, yeah. Well, I think that, it, it, you know, this, this conversation... 20 years ago would have been different yeah. because the regulatory environment was complex and, you know, we all struggled. But as we all know, that's changed. It's gotten better. It's more predictable. It's more clear. And you can have a conversation. The regulatory strategy or the reimbursement has gone the opposite direction. It's more confused. It's more opaque. The payers don't know what they're doing. The providers don't know what's going on. And nobody wants anything new. So it's just gone the opposite direction. So I think, you know, my advice to anybody is look first. Is there a way to get paid? Yeah. And, you know, do you have a high confidence you can get there? Yeah. Because yeah. that is the hardest part of the journey. And I agree. And, you know, we, I think we heard from uh, John at, at T. Rowe Price. It's, uh, you know, I, 
imagine that most CEOs that are going to talk to, to those guys have a pretty good idea as to what their reimbursement strategy is. But the problem is there's no predictability. Right. And, you know, you can sit down and have a number of conversations. You can do all the right things. You can check all the right boxes. You can go to the societies. And I know, Bob, you had that experience. So, you know, kind of walk us through because you started early. And like you said, you learned from, from our mistakes. Uh, so now kind of go through Lessons, the no mistakes. journey. Lessons learned. So go through the journey as uh, the kind of the conversations you had with AUA. So we started in 2010 and met with the, uh, the leadership of the Coding Reimbursement Committee and said, here's, here's the technology, here's the early data. At that time, we just had uh, first-in-man data. And uh, we think, based on this, that uh, it would, this existing code would apply. And they looked at it and said, yep, we agree. I said, okay, I'll just keep you informed. We're three, four years away from, uh, from being through the pivotal study. And then every year, uh, checked in, had the same conversation, same reaffirmation, yep, use this existing code. And uh, that led to, in 2014, being invited to present to the uh, Coding and Reimbursement Committee of the AUA, who affirmed use of, of that code. Um, there were some questions that arose uh, about six months later, and they wanted, we'd gone out and raised money having the affirmation of the reimbursement coding committee uh, and the first uh, inkling of, that there was some other activity going on was about six months later when the AUA contacted and said they're going to go back and relook at their decision. And we said, on the basis of what? Well, new information. What new information that was talked to us? And long story short, went through it. They looked at it a second time, reaffirmed it. Uh, we got FDA clearance. And then in October of 2015, uh, they posted on their website to use the existing code and a director of the providers to use that code. So you did everything right. You, you confirmed like three success. times. Now you go to a guy like T, you know, TW, uh, or, uh, T. Rowe Price, and what happens next? So you've got approval. You're, you're got approval. thought about your reimbursement start strategy commercializing. Yep, start commercializing. We're getting paid by um, all eight max or eight max at the time. Um, and then about nine months later, we're informed in... Uh, we got a notice uh, in uh, September, October 2016 uh, that one of the MACs disagreed with uh, the AUA's position on coding. Uh, didn't contact us, just published it. Um, and then we heard through the grapevine that others were going to follow. Uh, and we ended up with four MACs that were paying and four MACs that weren't paying. And no one would talk to us about what was going on. So that's the other. That is a common pattern. That that that's the worst. That's the worst way to know to find things out, right? I mean, the, the communication. There is no courtesy. Hey, we're just going to pick up the phone and tell you why. It actually comes over your email as a non-coverage decision. And I don't know about you, but those are the darkest days of my. You know, one of the darkest days of my career over at Clarence was because because it's a domino effect, right? And and there's nothing you can do when these non-coverage decisions start to go. Well, and there's no one to talk answer, to. There's no process. They, won't, call, they won't answer your phone call. And they'll never return. You don't even know who it is that you're yeah, supposed right. to talk to. And, and it was worse because it wasn't just non-coverage. There, was, yeah. there were two non-coverage and two just saying we disagree with the coding. Yeah. So, so now we're in the coding and the coverage mix. Yeah. And, you know, where you thought you had a clear path and you've hired and spend and raised money, assuming that, and now all of a sudden you have to hit a pause button, right? So let's stop you there and I want to go to John now and kind of walk us through your story. We're going to take a quick break from this conversation and let you know that we will have videos from the conference available to you shortly. So uh, please keep an eye on your inboxes. If you're not subscribed to the uh, MedTech Talk podcast newsletter, 
Go to healthag.com. That's the word health. Follow by the letters egy.com and sign up for that so you can get uh, access to some uh, great content from the conference. Now let's get back into this conversation. So ours was uh, a little longer. First of all, we, we, the building blocks, you know, the coding, coverage, and payment building blocks are so uniquely independent, it's staggering. Uh, and I, I still, to this moment, and we now have coding, and we have coverage by national CMS with a new tech ABC code, and probably 80% of commercial payers all in the last, you know, I don't know, 10, 12 months, and the UK, and we're hoping to get national coverage in Japan in the next two months. So we've made progress here, but I still, after being in this for eight years, I, I, I still can't pick up a phone number of anybody at any Mac. It's uh, our... Our, our market access team led by Campbell Rogers, who, those of you know him, you know, he's a, just a rock star. And Campbell has navigated with most of the commercial payers a relationship with the medical side because of who he is, his stature, his trustworthiness, and the mountain of data. We have now, I think, 250 50 peer-reviewed publications. Wow, that's We remarkable. have spent... $125 million on clinical trials. You know, for a med tech company, it's staggering. Now, it's a big market. It's a big swing. But that's what it's taken to move the specialty societies, the tech committee guidelines, the national guidelines for UK, Japan, et cetera. It's just, you know, there are no shortcuts. Yeah. And I think that, that that's why I believe reimbursement is the single biggest challenge that faces our industry, right? Because yeah. you can't plan for that. And, no. and, you know, you, how do you set those expectations with board members yeah. and investors uh, when these things are out of our control? And, yeah. you know, and I, I think the thing about the FDA was at least we knew that there was a process to drive them to accountability at some right. point, right? They, they, they went in a, in a direction, you know, and very conservative, but, the, you know, the team and the group and a lot of people in this room were responsible in helping getting them back on track. And there are tremendously intelligent people in our industry. We will figure it out. But when you move the goalpost, it's very, very hard. And that was the issue we had with FDA. And I agree we are back to a really good place as a partnership there. But with reimbursement, there is no goalpost. No, I mean, there isn't. You don't even know what the rules are. I don't even know are. what field we're on. Yeah. And we don't even know if we're playing football or soccer. No. Or play. I mean, no. it, is, it is really difficult, and it's hard to articulate that. Uh, to really understand what what is the move to action here, and and so, you know, I think it's stories like you guys and success stories, and you know, and I appreciate you guys giving back here. Um, you know, on the on the payment side, you, you know, and Bob, you know, you're obviously had been has been have been directed to go down a new path, so you're moving towards a category one code, which has been approved and will be issued uh, in January. So talk to the group about um, what is next and what's going on now uh, with regards to that, right? Because you've got RUC and payment and everything else. So I want to move to the payment side of things. Yep. So, so we, uh, in the spring of 2017, um, a, a doctor doing one of the competitive procedures filed an application trying to kick us into a Cat 3. 
Um, and so that was, we were at the, the uh, AMA uh, CPT editorial panel meeting, and that got thrown out, but they said, we've got to resolve this confusion. Uh, so the AUA had weighed in three different times with the MACs, with letters, calls, uh, and the MACs just said, we, we uh, disagree. Uh, there was a lot of confusion uh, that was in the marketplace amongst the payers created, exacerbated by competitors. Um, about what our data was and what it wasn't. And so we went ahead and filed for a CAT1 code uh, for the September meeting, and uh, we're, able, we're successful getting a CAT1 code. And in the meantime, it meant that you had to go to an unlisted code for two, the rest of 2017, 2018. Well, the good news was, if there is such a thing, is that um, because we had three-year data that was as good as or or slightly better than uh, competitive technologies. They had been paying on it. Four of the Macs had been paying on it, and they agreed to use, uh, each of the Macs have agreed to use the unlisted code, and they're mapping back to the same code that they said we shouldn't be using for payment. Um, so there, there are payments, but you're, you're stuck in the inconsistent reviewer land. So even though each of the Macs have come out, medical directors have said, use this code, and they're going to you know, make a box in, or a notation of box 19 and, and track it back, which means it should get paid. Um, what the medical director says isn't necessarily what the individual claims reviewers, and so you have to go through the appeal process. So it's messy, um, but, but we are getting paid. It is messy, and you know, credit to you guys for, for going through it. I, I do think that uh, you know, one of the lessons that we had over at Clarent, and, and I think you guys would probably see the same, is you know, we need a hunting license, right? Is, is because the more doctors that use it, I mean, the, the beauty, and you know, Theranos will be a good example of this, is you know, there's no smoke and mirrors in medicine, right? I mean, it's just a matter of time before people figure out, does it work or does it not? But if you can't get it in somebody's hands and you can't get the experience, it's really difficult, right, to then go after reimbursement. So if you can find a path, and I saw in our surveys, a lot of people try to point to existing codes. It's the easiest way. It's the fastest way. And, you know, but, but a lot of times um, there's a ton of resistance, and that usually comes from the societies. And I'd imagine you know that as well, right? And so talk a little bit about the societies and, you know, trying to find codes and why are they so resistant, some more resistant than others, yeah, ENT on the extreme. Point. Uh, urology is actually pretty good in my experiences, but to John, tell me, tell me your experiences uh, in cardiology. And you know even individuals in societies can have huge impact, uh, yes, exactly. as we both can speak to. Um, I think there's a couple of points. Uh, one thing that I think is a, I'm going to make is a rallying cry. As an industry, we came together and I think had a huge impact at the FDA. I, I think if, if you, you know, I know when I talk to the other entrepreneurs in the room, the venture capitalists in the room, the bankers in the room, there's a lot of confidence in, in the FDA pathway. We need to do the same thing with the payers. We need to come together as an industry and as a rallying cry, put pressure on transparency, clarity, and navigatable pathways. We, we've and done it before. We did it with the FDA. We can do it with the payers. I, I believe it's doable. We need to do it. Um, I agree. So that, that, to me, is my rallying cry. Our, our personal pathway, we got the SCCT as our sponsoring society, which is kind of a screw, and they're relatively small, the Society for Cardiac CT. It's like 4,000 people. The problem with the ACC, which is the American College of Cardiology, is they have to do consensus 
So what we do is we, we're displacing millions of nuclear medicine studies, stress echoes, pet studies, exercise treadmills, all these things that are paying a lot of bills um, are, are simply not as good as, our, as what we do. We are profoundly superior. And that was a challenge for the ACC and the, the SCTD level, SCCT level, they were fearful that their existing codes that they fought so hard for would somehow get disrupted because here's this you know, cloud-based AI company coming in with a better solution than any reader in the world can come up with. And so there was a deep-seated fear that we would upset that. We then collaborated with the large hardware vendors, Siemens, Philips, GE became partners to help allay those fears is, hey, our raw material is cardiac CT. We're going to be the biggest fans of what you do. That was the single biggest turning point wow. is our number one discussion with payers is you first got to make cardiac CT easy to do. Because then if it's positive, it needs to come to heart flow. That's the pathway that is best for patients. It's best for payers. That's how we won the game, mm -hmm. is by aligning the parties, yeah. the hardware vendors, the societies, the stakeholders, to say, okay, we're all in this together. Yeah. Brilliant. And, uh, you know, I, uh, on the, the call to action, I, I can't agree more. I mean, again, we're incredibly bright and solution-oriented group here, right? And there's got to be a solution. And, uh, you know, I, I believe that, um, you know, whether that's, you know, the uh, industry as its whole or individuals really need to look at the successes over time. And, and these are not as emotional in the eyes of payers, but there are still remarkable technology that's out there today that has been out for 10 years that still have non-coverage decisions. You know, balloon sinuplasty being one of them, kyphoplasty being other. I mean, these are... These are, you know, all the awards that we've had over the last 20 years in our industry. There are still payers refusing to cover. So whether that's a way to take that data and to show the impact uh, retrospectively may be a good start. Uh, because, you know, when you guys are all here living it, it's, it's you know, so, it's very emotional. It's politically driven. And it's life or death, right? And, uh, you know, so... Uh, so, you know, the other piece I will say this year, and, um, you know, I don't have any reimbursement in our new business, but, I, I, you know, WellPoint didn't cover us at all forever. They just overturned their decision. And we were in WellPoint. And I don't understand if WellPoint doesn't cover any of our technologies, why do we use them as our insurer? I, you know, if we were all to come in here, I don't know how many covered lives we have, but I would plead to you, if there's anyone that has WellPoint, you should move to someone Walk else. away. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll get off, the, uh, off my uh, here. But I want to contrast the two of your businesses because it's interesting. You know, Bob, you uh, had talked about it from more of a patient-centric, right? Your technology is good for patients, and that's the fight that most of the device companies make. Uh, and, uh, and you, I think in, in speaking with you, you have a different value proposition. Obviously, it's great for patients, but this is probably best for society and insurers, and we 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 truly met the triple aim. So we have a profoundly better experience for patients. Yeah. We have better patient outcomes, but we save the payer. For example, the largest five commercial payers in the United States would save a net of over ten billion dollars a year yeah. if they used our pathway in alternative to the existing pathways. Ten billion to the bottom line 
for the top five pairs in the U.S. So, th- so this the is numbers a time are where... massive. So you would think the pairs would jump all over that, right. but they just don't have a mechanism to do that. They're just no slow and no and more slow. Right. You know, that's profitability just, that's by attrition. That's the inertia. Can't can't make changes. Probability of death by attrition. Yeah, and. Uh, which is remarkable, right? And probably is not inspiring for people in the room because you, you have a $100 billion market opportunity. You can save $10 billion. And your coding situation is, is you're in a Category 3 code. Is that right? Yeah, we did that on purpose, actually. In counsel with the payers, they said, we don't care about which code. We just need a code. We'll gather the data, and then we'll flip it to a one in three or four years. And so that, that actually was opposite my intrinsic biases and I think what our traditional teaching is. CPT three codes are the death knell. That's just not accurate. Now, with the Macs, there are a couple of Macs who automatically say no to CPT three codes, but when you have a national Medicare decision, they really don't have the, they ultimately have to say yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think that is another, you know, key point. Is it, you know, the, the coding is usually easy to get, right? It's the it it's yeah. the coverage and the payment that's really hard. And for those out here that you know are are in, you know, the process of trying to figure all this out, uh, based off of your experiences, you know, give us some advice that you know they can take. Whether that's you know starting early, planning, predictability, you know. Bob, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go with you first, uh, and then, John, you'll follow up, and then maybe we'll have some time for his questions. So I think the decision of whether to go CAT 3 or not really depends on the technology. Um, we are an office-based procedure. Um, the, by and large, the sophistication of the reimbursement and the billiers in individual offices is not high. We've had to change the profile of our reps to become more reimbursement conversant and, and professional. And because it's uh, primarily a Medicare-driven population, um, to your point, Max, generally speaking, on CAT-3, say no. So that was too long of a pathway. I think um, it absolutely would work for John Wooden. I think we've talked about it. You've got to work with the societies. And I think where I underestimate it is both the politics within societies and the the ability of, of individual... Uh, folks who have influences with with other competitive companies being able to influence the process. I mean, at the end, the data prevails, uh, but it creates a lot of confusion in the marketplace. In the marketplace, and um, that's unfortunate and challenging because I agree with you. Reimbursements are number one issue, um, and and as an industry, the other thing I would say is we don't try to mess with each other's uh, reimbursement for competitive purposes. I mean, if 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 your widget is better than my widget and you win. That's great, but if it, to go after another uh, com- another industry player's reimbursement to me is just not the right. It's, it's not That's the right low thing. ball. Not yeah. the right thing. No, it's true, and I think you hit two points that are really important. Uh, there are politics and competitive underlying efforts that we have all three experienced mm-hmm. um, that we didn't expect, honestly. Uh, and one or two people can throw a wrench in the works up to a certain point, there becomes a point when the data becomes so overwhelmingly clear and overwhelming that that one or two lone wolf who's trying to hurt you just can't get away with it. And that that is my final statement, is there are no shortcuts. You just have to walk the walk, get the data, 
make it unequivocally clear you're the right thing for patients and the right thing for payers, that's how you win. Well, we only have uh, three minutes on the reimbursement topic, but we covered a lot. So, uh, you know, I want to make sure we give an opportunity to ask questions um, from, from anyone out there. Yes. <laughs> See, remember I talked about all of you guys as an industry being really smart. <laughs> I'm not. I don't include myself in there. So I got out of the reimbursement piece altogether by, you know, having a cash pay business or I'd be laying on the couch right now. <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting. I, I do think that we are seeing, in, in my mind, more and more physicians just tapping out on this whole, and, and, it, and they see it too, right? And we don't talk a lot about that, but many of them just don't want to go through the bureaucracy anymore. The contracts, the fighting with payers, being turned down by non-clinicians is not medically necessary, and they're frustrated, and, and they are the ones, they don't have a lot of places to go. So we see many of them that just say, you know, I want to go to an all-cash pay procedure. You know, plastic surgeons, ophthalmologists, they figured out long ago. And forget this whole coding thing. <laughs> so I kind of follow that category uh, with them because I do think that, that that's where we're heading in healthcare. Last night I yeah. had dinner with the, the leadership of the largest independent consortium of hospitals in America. And they are just saying, we're now going to value-based care, full stop. Yeah. Now that we've talked about that for, I don't know, two decades but they are all in full commitment. And even though they may have some short-term pain in this transition from fee-for-service, you know, CMS is now more than 50% value-based care. That will help the reimbursement health. Yeah. And it is a war. It so is. I think it was uh, well-titled for the name yeah. of this panel. Yeah, I agree. All right, we got uh, one, time for one last question. Um, and uh, so, Bob, I do want to ask one question because you brought up something that I want to get your thoughts on. You know, everything I've heard in my career is never talk about time, speed. You know, you recognize uh, or you, you uh, reflected it's, you know, three minutes in an office. How, how do you reconcile that with reimbursement and codes? And, I mean, at the end of the day, it is what it is when you're trying to help patients, and, and it's more efficient for the system, right? right so but in our world, we get penalized for that, right? So how do you reconcile well, that? we're past the ruck process, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and it's not about the speed of the procedure. It's the total patient involvement time. Um, clearly, uh, Eurolith did a nice job of, of setting that parameter. Um, yeah. We went through, you know, going forward, it's going to be a, it's going to be value based service, right? And and uh, we think that's a that creates a competitive uh, advantage. Yeah. It's you know the the value now is set. It's going to be what's going to be, yeah. and and you take that and you turn it into an advantage because you're taking costs out of the healthcare system. Right. right? And you, I think it's just a great point for people in here, right? It's in these are early days, how you market, how you position all these things, because uh, they will, they could have the potential of hurting you and, and you know, those right. things. Yeah. And, and, and that is counterintuitive right. because being more efficient and better and faster for patients should lead to right. more reimbursement. Right. But, but we but didn't, that's not we how didn't talk works, about time. Right? There was nothing. We, we have never yeah. talked about time. So I had no play um, in, in yeah. any of this. Okay, well, uh, I want to say thank you guys. You did a wonderful job in a very short time. So, good job. All right, well, that is a wrap. Thank you, MedTech Talk Podcast listeners, for joining us. If you wouldn't mind subscribing to the podcast, that would be a great help. But uh, equally important, or even more important, please do tell your friends about the podcast. 
you're uh, enjoying our conversations about innovation in medtech, I'm pretty sure they will as well. So let them know what's going on. Let me know what's going on. Reach out to me. I am on Twitter at MedTechTom. You can email me directly, tom at healthag.com. That is the word health, followed by letters egy.com. Healthag is the company that produces the MedTech Talk podcast and the MedTech Conference. So we have a lot going on. We're already planning our uh, conference for next year. It'll be happening on May 30th in Minneapolis, so you can save that date. But uh, lots to uh, talk about before between then. So tune in next week. We'll have another great tale of innovation for you on the MedTech Talk podcast. 